From Humber College, in association with the Etobicoke Philharmonic Orchestra, my name is Mark Whale and this is the Music Listening Project. Today we are going to be listening to Wagner's Prelude to his opera Tristan and Isolde. And the recording I have chosen is the classic performance by Furt Wangler, the German conductor conducting the Philharmonia Orchestra in 1955. I am pleased once again to be joined by Mark Rechevich, Professor of Anthropology, Professional Flautist and Conductor. Let's begin by listening to the opening few bars. getting into what they call the glance theme i think so i did turn it off <laughs> what are your thoughts uh, oh okay so two things right now i'm thinking think of rossini and a good old-fashioned opera overture bigger difference between opening one of those operas and opening this one. There's so much space waiting for each idea to happen. I know that's one of the, well, the, the most interesting things about this beginning is the use of silence. Absolutely. No other overture that I can think of immediately that stirs this up. And that silence is such a, a heavy, weighty silence, right? So it's not simply dead silence. It's silence that's filled with this suspense or I guess what Wagner is thinking is it's filled with this desire or longing. Mm -hmm. 
was waiting there to stop the music in the silence. When I stopped it, it was no better than stopping it in the middle no, of the music. No, it, it doesn't right? matter where you are. If you think about this in terms of questions and responses, mm. I mean, you have... Da, ya, da, di, and then the response... Da, di, dum. next phrase which is almost a response to that it's also a response to the silence mm. if you think about the players they are it's not coming from nothing they are trying to address the silence mm. that's that's just come in and we hear that I, i know that you wanted to talk a little bit about that chord you know this famous tristan chord what place it has here because that is important yeah so the the tristan chord is So that is the Tristan chord. But I don't think that you can hear that without hearing where it ends. How does it resolve? This Tristan chord is kind of renowned in music circles as this dissonant, diminished chord that is not unique in music. Supposedly Beethoven used it in one of his piano sonatas. Uh, but here it doesn't resolve in the way everybody else resolved it. It resolves to the seventh chord. It, it resolves to another chord, which is not simply right. a tonic and, chord. And, or a... and that it's not a real feeling of resolution. It's kind of a desire that keeps propelling you forward but it, it's funny as you were playing that i'm hearing it as a real resolution now it's just that unlike a mozart or a haydn where we know okay we can hear the phrase has come to an end pretty but i don't think i'd want to sit there for the whole rest of the five hours of that opera i think what wagner is starting to do here is he's pushing the the tonality in the same way that in just a few years Mahler and then Schoenberg, Berg and Webern are going to do the same thing.
Wagner's famous for creating things called light motifs, mm. which are fragments of melody which represent a character, a character, or a, a a theme or an idea. So there's a glance theme. Apparently, the kind of the look that that Tristan and Zelda gave each other. Mm. There's a love potion theme. So here are the two themes in context. So here we have the glance theme just love the way that the bass punctuates those There's a freedom. Foot Wangler is clearly a master at giving this mm. expansive tune, breadth and space. But at the same time, he manages to keep a pulse incredibly slowly. I mean, it's an, very, very slow, but still there's this there. bass pulse. And so you've got the tension, I feel, between the, the striving and the attempt in the cellos to kind of break free from the bonds of strict rhythmic. Mm. Well, it's breathing. I mean, no doubt right. about that. And you can, can feel the breath throughout. So it's living in that way. But with this continual, it's not a heartbeat, but there is punctuation of the bar line. That's not a bad idea. Since you're having glance, you have desire, you have longing you may as well have a heart beating. And you wait for that. And then you thought it was going to end and then something else happens and the violins come in there. And I listen to that beautiful slide up there that moment where the violins are playing now in counterpoint to the cello tune but then they have this moment where they rise above it with that uh, swoop upwards this is typical Wagner
with all these romantic slides and gestures and sighs. you a, a question yeah. as a player. I, I know that maybe you've played this prelude several times as a violinist. What are the limits on playing that a, a conductor might impose? I, I know that you know sometimes a conductor may want to take something more quickly than a player wants to do it. But how about the other side? You know, how slowly can you take this before you feel the ensemble falls apart and can't get it and would you be comfortable playing at this? Well, it's interesting you say that because we did our first rehearsal for this the other night and I felt it was too slow. But I think it was only too slow because we really weren't able to play it. And I don't think we had a clear idea. The orchestra didn't have a clear idea where it was going. I think you can probably you can play this is incredibly slowly so long as you are able to keep in your head the lines, mm-hmm. uh, a sense of the whole it's when it, it becomes so slow, it becomes stagnant because you lose the direction. Mm-hmm. It is very difficult to play slowly and maintain that direction, but it is possible so long as you perform each note in a way that it's leading to the next and coming out of the previous one. Now, is this just about the playing it, or is this about how a conductor, he or she, might be conducting it? Well, I think probably both. I mean, I think that you know whether the conductor has a sense of the line and where it's going and is able to pull out different parts. I'm not really seeing anything particularly interesting, but it is in, what is interesting is there is most people do take this very slowly. Mm-hmm. Roger Norrington, have you come across Norrington's? No. You know, he's famous for his kind of period performances and taking Beethoven at the original at the tempo. the original metronome, Martin. right. He takes this incredibly quickly. Wow. It's quite astonishing, but it actually has a real freshness to it. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the cello tune really works because one has a clear idea of yeah. the line. Well, the time signature is 6-8, so um, it, it's a question of are, are you counting each beat right, yeah. or Instead are you grouping it? Norrington gives it a more lilting feel. It's a dance, yeah. I mean, which is interesting because, I mean, obviously this is this this glance. Uh, so if you don't know the, the story, what happens is Isolde summons Tristan to come and see her because actually what she wants to do is kill him for various things that you don't need to know about. And so she orders her maid to bring him a drink with a death potion in it. But the maid substitutes the death potion for a love potion and so Tristan drinks the love potion and she drinks the other half thinking it's also a death potion because, you know, it's all nihilism. We're going to kill ourselves. And so they fall madly in love. And the whole opera is really about this 
burning desire for which the only solution is death. Death. Uh, so anyway, this is the glance that happens after that love potion is... You can begin to hear the lilt in this. I mean, that's why Furtwangler is so good. We're going to just move on because we're running out of time here. Yeah, so we're going to join it about halfway through. We have here the glance theme. But then it's in the violins and now it's kind of descending. As it descends, we start to hear the rise of the woodwind. So the woodwind are now playing the glance theme. in it. it there's so much happening there's so many different lines it, just if you take the first and second violins who are traditionally quite often playing together here they're playing in tandem so when one rises with this scale da -da 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 -da, and these scales I just remember probably about the age of 20 when I was at college hanging out in somebody's uh, bedroom with a whole bunch of us and we were listening to this and some girl said, well, this this is the point where they're basically having sex. <laughs> <laughs> and that's stuck with me ever since. So this is like move to orgasm, basically. That's pretty early on in the opera. But okay. I'm looking at you over there and you have the benefit of the music in your hand. So you get a chance to see what's happening. That's an incredible set of notes that you're playing from. All these black kind of rising scales. The demands that Wagner is putting on orchestral musicians here. So this is where we start with these swoops up and down. So that's the first violins. That's the second violins. Each responding to the other. It's like cascading, isn't it? And again, you have this kind of imagery of reaching up, right? Of, again, striving, longing, desire.
in amongst that we keep getting this the dee da 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 from the beginning just as you get to the top of that last kind of like crescendo and rising scale you think okay now now we're now we're going to resolve right now we're going to come to the point but no we don't we continue So even then, I think that might be a, uh, at least it's diminished, it might be the Tristan called that. But our Tristan chord is... So we have this final arrival, but we arrive on the Tristan chord that is not really a resolution. As a final thought, I hope all of you enjoyed Wayne and Garth's take on Wagner. But in all seriousness, this is a piece that I think changed everything. I think that this changed the direction of Western art music. And you're meaning in terms of... Uh, the way that tonality. Wagner extended the language of, right. of, of, of the notes in this piece. And so I would encourage listeners um, to, to listen to this. Give it, give it time, give it space. So to be clear, because you know, not everybody knows probably what we're talking about, but up until this point, I think what you're, you're suggesting is that there was dissonance, i.e. sounds that that didn't sound well together, which were then resolved onto consonances, sounds which did sound well together. But again, these dissonances were always within the context of a very clear tonal right. 
structure in which we very clearly had a home key at the end or a home note that we all came back to and we all felt happy about coming back to. And here, Wagner paves the way for other composers later on, like Schoenberg, who really spend a lot of time actually trying to completely banish that idea of of tonality of a of a home key yeah, relationship between tones even exactly and so you know and it's very interesting to think that this was 1859 and you will have heard in previous podcasts brahms third symphony which was i think 1885 right which is a is so tonal and and i mean obviously a wonderful and hardly a predictable work but a completely different direction to this Well, it's been a pleasure, Mark. And me as well. Thank you, Mark. If you enjoyed this podcast, please check out others on iTunes. Once again, this was a performance by the Philharmonia Orchestra conducted by Furtwängler in 1955. Thank you for listening.